Oh, here we are. And we are at a place that... Um, yeah. i got to kick this cord out of the way, if you don't mind. I'm up here kicking things around today, pushing pushing palms around and everything. Uh, get myself situated. And uh, we are at a special place in our study of the Word as we have been in Second Timothy... And uh, we finished last week in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last chapter. We finished at verse 18. And it really seems like it ought to end there. And, you know, he's speaking about the future heavenly kingdom. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's the end of the letter, right? You would think that's the way it would be. But God doesn't think like us. Even though Paul was writing this, the Holy Spirit is really, truly writing this, and I'm thankful for that. Um, it sounded like a rap to me. That's, that's it. But it's like Paul said this. Oh, by the way, there's something else I want to tell you. <laughs> and, um, you know, you think about that, and you go, okay, uh, End of a letter here. It's kind of like a P.S. Postscript. And if you look at your title today, it's the shortest title I have ever had. P.S. <laughs> and, you know, um, there are a few last sentences here in this letter. And we could have tried to finish this letter last week, and it would have been very simple. And to be honest with you, most commentators, most of my favorite commentators, started at verse... 9 and went through two, or 22. And normally they don't do that. They just take maybe three, four verses. And uh, I don't always follow their pattern. And this time I didn't. Um, to be honest with you, though, I, I wonder, you know, I, I left it there uh, at the end of 18 last week. And then when I did it, I knew that there, I didn't have any more time. I was already over time. And I already planned it to, to stop there anyway. We could have read the verses, say, Grace be with you, and boom, that's it. But as I studied this week on this passage, especially at first, uh, first part of the week, I started asking myself this question. Why did I leave those verses there by themselves? Because <laughs> I'm thinking... How am I going to do this? Uh, matter of fact, I became concerned this might be the shortest message that we've ever had. Matter of fact, it might be the shortest message anybody's ever had. <laughs> I'll leave it to Luke to say that. You know, you know. But as you study, you know, it's interesting how God keeps giving you more stuff. He always does. And He winds up giving you more stuff than you'll ever need. And, it's, you know, it has to be edited out as, as you go through, but sometimes I edit things in. I do want to tell you this, that uh, we know that through, uh, in Second Timothy, it says all Scripture is inspired. But there are some Scriptures that are more inspiring than others. You know, you know what I mean? You have your favorite verses, and then are verses that you read, you know they're inspired, but you go, oh, that's not my favorite verse. You know, some are more inspiring. Well, when you look at this, you would think, well, this is not as inspiring as some of the other passages that we dealt with. But, you know, then you have to think, well, this is God's Word. God's Word is powerful. God's Word is just packed. It has powerful dynamite in this 
little package that He gives us here today. And no matter where we're at in Scripture, we know that this is dynamite. This is powerful. It's God's Word. We just have to dig a little bit. When you have God's Word and then you have the Holy Spirit, you put them two together, the Scripture just comes alive, doesn't it? You know, and and uh, it's a personal word to us. Uh, I think that God will bless us today, and uh, I think that as we look at Paul's last recorded words, that in itself is pretty amazing. And the very last recorded words we get to read right here, he's staring death in the face, nose to nose, eye to eye, and uh, he's getting ready to get the axe at some time. And sometimes that kind of situation can bring out the best of someone. And in this case, it certainly did uh, of Paul. He has no regrets. He has no bitterness whatsoever. He was absolutely, perfectly innocent. And everything that he had done in this ministry was good. And I think that the word grace that we see at the end here just dominates Paul's thoughts. Grace is all about grace. Um, and I think we need to choose grace as we prepare for the time that our lives will come to an end here. We want to be just full of grace. Even more grace than we have now. Uh, humanly, it doesn't always work that way because we have a lot of things working against us. And a lot of things, you know, but... Um, he was in prison, condemned to die. He has no self-pity. He has grace. His testimony is a story of grace, isn't it? His testimony, how he came to the Lord. He was brought to the Lord by the Lord Himself. So as we finish this letter, we reflect upon the content of it. Boy, there have been some major issues that have been dealt with by Paul to Timothy, haven't there? There have been a lot of famous verses in this um, little epistle, just four chapters. And I think it's been very helpful to us. And I think as we, uh, we know that constantly Paul talked about the Word. The Word is to be guarded, right? Timothy, guard the truth. Guard that deposit that God has given to you. And so he encouraged him to, to guard that. Now, we have a lot of young Timothys that are in the body of Christ today, the whole body of Christ. We need Timothys to continue this on. We need the young people to pick this up and move on with it. That's the way it's always worked in the church. And so that's what we are to leave on. We are to prepare them. And the thing is, we don't have a lot of young people and we want to make sure that they're prepared, but I'd sure like to have a lot more young people. And at the end of our message today, I think we're going to have a special prayer on God. What can we do? How can we help young people be established in truth and so they can pass it on? And we're like Paul with young Timothys. And and uh, we need we need them and other people need them. But um, you think of preachers today and many have become ashamed at the biblical creation, and, uh, redemption, judgment, heaven and hell, and one of the most basic things, uh, marriage, family. Uh, 
there are other doctrines that have been watered down. The truth uh, has been taken lighter. And gospel is uh, is heavy stuff, isn't it? So Paul closes this letter. People are on his mind. People are on his mind, his heart. People who made up his life. People who had shared his ministry for many years. These people were crucial to him. They were vital to him. They were very important to Paul. They were essential. And without them, he couldn't have done what he did. He depended not only upon the Lord, but he depended upon other people. And what we're going to focus in on today and hone in is the providence of God on how He brought people together and then minister with Paul and to Paul and to other people through Paul's ministry. God just wove these people into Paul's life and his ministry. There's a tapestry there that on the back side of it, when that tapestry is being made, you have no idea what it really looks like. That you look, it just looks like a mishmash, but you look on the other side when it's done and it's just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. That's what God has done. As we sit here this morning, Stan, I see a tapestry that God has done in a little local way. And everybody has been positioned in the perfect place they need to be. And God has designed that. And what a beautiful picture it is. And, uh, you know, that's a predetermined plan. And so we focus in on the sovereignty of the providence of God, and we also focus in on His predetermined plan that was long before. And, you know, people are the most precious treasure that we have outside of the Word of God, God Himself. Uh, Christians are the greatest resource that we have. Other Christians... Uh, are the the most valuable commodity that we can possibly have. It's a it's a treasure, isn't it? And I say that I have joy in my ministry. This has been my joy to have had a band of people here. Most precious treasure that I can have, whose hearts have been touched by God and who are on a team. A team of friends, a team of co-laborers, and everyone plays a vital part in my life and in every other one's life, in our lives, in our ministry. Did you know that? You're valuable. You are a precious treasure. And that is the heart of Paul as he finishes this little letter and a last little P.S. which I think is just powerful. Why don't we stand? Let's read this little passage and if you read it before you can go, wow, how can you make a message out of this? Well, I will tell you it probably won't be long today. (laughs) Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. Betrophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, thank you for this.
study that we've had of this little epistle that was to the pastor Timothy and it was to all the church at that time and it's to the church today. And Lord, if we have been blessed by it and one more message that comes out of it, may we truly be blessed out of this. May we see the treasure that each one here is as we work and serve together. In Jesus' name, Amen. We end uh, certain epistles sometimes and people get out the Kleenex boxes. It's kind of like the movie that we saw last week. <laughs> I heard I heard people all throughout the theater getting out the uh, Kleenexes and weeping. But it's because of what God does, right? Well, we look at the uh, providence of God. And we start with uh, a couple. Prisca and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. They're mentioned six times in the New Testament. We're quite familiar with them, actually. If you read through the book of Acts, here they are again here. and They're also in the book of Romans. They're also in the book of Corinthians. And uh, they played a huge part in Paul's ministry. They were amazing friends of Paul. They were ministers who served together, literally, side by side, in the Lord. They were living in Rome. Imagine yourself living in Rome, and all of a sudden you have an emperor, and by, the, by this, at this time there was an, um, an emperor by the name of Claudius, and he commanded that all the Jews leave the city, or else they're going to die. They had to leave. Well, Priscilla and Aquila were a couple that was there. They, they left. And they made their way to Corinth, of all places, Corinth, Corinth, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Miami, Detroit, and go on and on, right? All, you can think of all the cities. It seems like almost every city is a, is a wretch. Yeah. Some worse than others. But yet, um, they went to Corinth, and um, a city of... Uh, immorality to say the, the least but that's where Paul met them so God in his providence moves Priscilla and Aquila moves them to Corinth from Rome and it's because they were commanded to leave now that's, their, that's where they lived that's where their home was at in Rome how would you like to just pack up everything and just leave to somewhere else and so that's what they do. Now, a lot of people do. They move and such. But can you imagine going there because you are forced to go? Hmm. That's interesting. Well, this is where Paul winds up at because he had been at Athens. And you remember what happened at Athens? You have all the philosophers there. And they pretty well laughed him out of there. But at the same time, he preached the gospel and he talked about the resurrection of the dead. And that pretty well did it. That's where everybody caved in. And uh, so the next place that he goes is Corinth. And when he wrote Corinthians in chapter 1, chapter 2, we see that he came in with fear and trembling. Because he had the Word of God. He had the Gospel to offer. He is going into a place. It's not that he's scared for his life, but at the same time, he can't buckle. He's got to preach this death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And he came out of Athens. And he said, what happened there? What's going to happen to Corinth? It could be worse. But God had some people there, and He winds up meeting these people, and I think that's rather interesting. So um, here is Paul. He meets them, and what does He do with them? 
He lives with them. He makes tents with them. Right? He's a tent maker. So He lives with them. He works with them. Uh, He ministers with them. He teaches them. They become even stronger. I think they were probably Christians at this time. But if you want to look in Acts 18, you can see just a little bit uh, there how that all came into being. And that's why I say the providence of God is more miraculous than a miracle. Because it interweaves in things that seem impossible. Coming out of bad situations, and God actually has something even better planned. See, anytime something really bad there's really going to be something good that's going to come out of it because Romans 8.28 says that, right? And have you ever noticed? That's right. It does happen that way. If we wrote the story, we would make everything be good and it would be all bright and rosy and everything. And we wouldn't even have to have Christ come back because everything's just fine. (laughs) But because of sin in this world and the consequences of it, things go up and down. But... God has it all under control and He's already designed a plan after this. So whatever time you're at in your life, you're enjoying life, everything's going just sweet, that's good. That's really good. Enjoy that. Enjoy it. God has that designed. In Acts 18, after these things, he left Athens, Paul did, and went to Corinth. There we go. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them of all people. Did he know them before? I think not. He just came to them because he was of the same trade. Maybe they were both doing that and they met each other and got to talking. You ever run into somebody who does the same thing you do? So, huh, I'd like to meet them. Remember how you met people? I remember how I met probably everyone in here. I really did. I was kind of thinking about that as the week went by a lot. As a matter of fact, as I sometimes I work outside. That's my best prayer time. That's sometimes my closet, you know. And I, I get to going over, you know, all, all of your guys' names as I, you know, bring that forth. And, and sometimes it's kind of interesting to think, well, how did I meet them? Oh, yeah. And you think, oh, God put that together. You know, and so I, I can remember those, those are precious times. And then, of course, how you guys met other people in here. You know, it's just it's really it's really interesting. And, and you know, God's behind it all. That is why it's so cool with this whole thing when He brings people together, and it's not by accident. So um, they were the same trade, and He stayed with them. They, he lived with them. They were working working together. For by trade they were tent makers, and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. So there on the, the, the Sabbath, he goes in synagogue and tries to sway Jews and Greeks. Now that's um, the first four verses. Then you get the, the story there of uh, how that developed. I think we can drop on down to maybe uh, uh, verse 18. Uh, we can probably pick up... Yeah, I, 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. Okay, uh, is in Corinth, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. So they went with him as he heads to Ephesus. And uh, in verse 19, they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews. So he goes in the synagogue, starts preaching, does what he always does. And then later on in that chapter, this is where you have a guy by the name of Apollos. He's preaching the Word, doing it strongly. A man who is powerful and eloquent in his speech. They hear him 
and there were some things that were needed to be improved on accurately, more accurately. And it says uh, in verse 26, uh, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. He's in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wa- so there is Priscilla and Aquila, and they're becoming encouragers are in the faith. You see what they're doing, you know. And, and so that that's great discipling, even with somebody who really is strong in the word, and yet they were able to add some things to his life and his his preaching. I think that's good to to note there, isn't it? Um, Paul wrote the book of Romans. We know that, right? And according to Romans 16.3, at the end of this letter, as he writes to the church at Rome, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Guess what? Now they're in Rome again. Isn't that interesting? And he... Um, I think they're they're living in Rome, and Paul then is going to write Corinthians later on, and he, like he's going to be in Ephesus probably when he wrote Corinthians, and so you look at the end of First Corinthians, so at the end of Romans, and at the end of Corinthians, and at the end of Second Timothy, we see them. So we go to Corinthians. So they played a valuable part in the ministry, didn't they? They played a valuable part how the church developed. So we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. We trace back a little bit what was going on with them. Paul writes a letter to Corinth, and he's been in Ephesus. And he says, But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service open to me, and there are many adversaries. Oh, that's verse 9. I, I think um, it's verse 19. But we see we see where he's at. Where is he at? He's in Ephesus. Okay, so we have that as he's writing Corinth. And now, but where are they at? Now he had been in Ephesus before with them. They had been there. Now they've moved on. They've been in Rome, and like the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila are now. Um, uh, at a, they have opened up their home to have a church there. They've probably done that who knows uh, how many times. So he says, hey, they're greeting you there as he writes to the Corinthians. And of course, they, they knew them. They'd been there, remember, when Paul had been there with them. So whenever the church needed them, wherever they needed to be, these are valuable, dear old friends, and Paul just kind of keeps running into them or, you know... He, uh, different places or you know wherever he's writing he's saying greet them this is definitely the plan of God uh, as Paul runs into them at Corinth way back when it was not by accident was it and what an impact that they had as they both ministered the word now that's them as we finish out 2nd Timothy and of course there are many passages about them now it starts getting to be a little less to work with as we look at Onesiphorus, but he is mentioned more than once. Earlier in this letter in chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, verse 16, 
after he said, you're aware that everybody in Asia, they turned against me, you know. Um, They turned away from me. Phygelus and Hermogenes, that's a couple, you know, and he mentions right there. Then he says, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. He didn't leave him. For he often refreshed me. Often refreshed me. Quite a minister. He was not ashamed of my chains. A lot of them have been ashamed of his change. If it looks like you identify with somebody and they're in prison, that may mean a cost to you yourself. And so people started distancing themselves away from Paul, even though he was absolutely innocent. But it says, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. Now, does that make sense? When people are deserting him, whenever he was in Rome... Everything that he could do, he checked this out. Now, this this guy is uh, an investigator. You know, he's a he's a detective, and so he's got to start questioning people and finding out where he could possibly. Rome is like one of the biggest cities in in the world at this time. This is a huge city. Where do you start to find somebody without all the electronic gadgets? <laughs> But he found him, and that means mentioning if you say that name, who knows they could, who knows what they could do to you, you know. But he found me, and he said, "The Lord grant him mercy on that day. May he be rewarded." Anyway, Paul thought a lot of Ornessa for us, and God had ordered his steps, even to find Paul at at that time. And and he says household here. Read Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. It's not just him. And back in chapter 1, it's not just Onesiphorus, but the house of Onesiphorus. He keeps saying that. And you say, well, maybe his name, first name was House, and his last name was Onesiphorus. <laughs> Middle name is up. But, no, there are times when whole families are in God's family. And he does that. And he knew how valuable they were. So he just doesn't mention Onesiphorus, but mentions the whole, the whole crew there. Isn't that, uh, isn't that a lot to learn right there, just in a couple of verses? Everyone probably in that household was, were Christians. And it may not necessarily just be wife and kids, because at that time, uh, very well could have had servants in that household. Maybe friends that they took in. Didn't have a place to live. And they had been persecuted. A whole household. There he is, you know. So it uh, took in multiple people. So Paul, what he wants Timothy to do is, hey, hey, make sure that you greet that dear family of Onesiphorus. Boy, are they special. And some people, have, some commentators have said, maybe Onesiphorus wasn't even living at this time. And says, greet the, you know, Onesiphorus, who isn't with us anymore, but greet his family. Now, I don't know about that. I, uh, I, that could be pushing it. But it, it could be legitimate. But it, definitely that, that whole family, they're precious to Paul. And he says, now, Timothy, make sure you greet Prisca and Aquila. And where's Timothy at this time? He's at Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila are back at Ephesus. They've been there before. Boy, you've got some really giants there that are ministering the Word. And you have false teachers there too, don't you? Needed. Those and uh, so anyway, 
He says, make sure that uh, that you you tell him I said hi. Man, I really care about him. And he knows that they're going to be rewarded on that day, day of Christ. And they're going to be rewarded in glory for the friendship. Just, just the friendship that they had with Paul that was so valuable. So you have a faithful couple and Priscilla and Aquila and a faithful family. And that's what we find in verse 19. We'll move into 20. Erastus remained at Corinth. We're familiar with that. Corinth, right? Erastus remained there. Uh, this guy, we have other verses about. We can't always press it, but it's very possible he was the city treasurer. The city treasurer of the big city of Corinth. There were some big name people in the family of God back at that time. You know, there were uh, people in, in royalty that heard the gospel and they became Christians too, you know. But here's a city treasurer, and so um, I think we can look at Romans 16.23, right at the end of Romans. There's people we don't know too much about, but isn't it kind of interesting just to meet them and get a brief here now? Because, you know, in eternity, somewhere along the line, you're going to run into these people. Say, you're Erastus. You were, you were in the Bible. Wow. He's... He says, and then they probably say, "Yeah, you aren't. You aren't. Your name is not in that Bible, but you're in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's really what what matters. And by the way, you are in God's story, so you are in the living Word of God, aren't you? Just not in this particular book. But Romans 16. I just threw that in there. See, that's some of my editing that I do. My editing just adds things that don't need to be there, but it's just as you're turning to that page, Gaius hosts to me." Um, and to the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother. Erastus, city treasurer. Isn't that interesting? If that's the same guy as in Timothy, uh, he's writing to the Romans, and what city is he at when he writes Romans? He's probably there in Corinth. He's the city treasurer of Corinth. He says it right there. The city treasurer. Whatever it is, he's Christian, isn't he? And then uh, he might be the one that's in Acts 19.22. Another passage dealing with Erastus. 19.22. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Timothy and Erastus were together and it's mentioning Macedonia. Timothy and him ministered in Macedonia. He ministered to Paul along with Timothy in those former years. Erastus is a dear friend. Hey, Timothy, make sure you tell Erastus hi. You know, our, our real good friend. He's an old pal of Paul and Timothy, an old friend. He's following up on the work in Corinth as he wrote wrote that. Corinth was a hard place. I think this is a good man in the Lord, Erastus. Now think of the providence of God here using these certain people. And when you have a city treasurer, you know, there are going to be some people who do that. Now sometimes when you're a city treasurer or a city clerk, 
Because you stand up for the truth, you can lose your job and be put to jail. And we've seen that this week, haven't we? Isn't that interesting? I have to wonder what happened. Did he Was he able to continue on in that city because of the different... Uh, well, we know that they had homosexual problems there, didn't they? They had the same problems that we have here too. Um, but it's the providence of God how God got these people together, how they met, they knew each other, how important this Erastus was. Don't ever discount how important you are to the body of Christ. You are no less important than anyone else. Did you hear that? And you think, yeah, but there's guys that write books and they minister thousands and thousands of people and you are just as important this brick that's been put in this building. Don't ever forget it. Okay? Uh, we get a little less knowledge about certain other ones, but there, there's Trophimus. Trophimus happens to be from Asia. Specifically from Ephesus. Those particular cities come into place. Ephesus was a major city. Corinth was a major city. We keep seeing those come up. Of course, Rome. Um, He went with Paul from Greece to Troas. We find out in Acts chapter 20. Some of these sound familiar because a lot of you were here on the Tuesday night Bible study. And we went through these sections and even though we spent a brief amount of time on there, it sounds like, haven't we just been there recently? And we talk about this guy. Um, in the first ten verses, I think you get a lot of guys named. Um, verse 4 of Acts 20. Um, he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Purus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and he was from that area too, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Specifically, Ephesus. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So, he goes to minister there. This Trophimus does. He goes there. Um, He probably carried the offering that they were gathering all across the missionary journeys all the way from Europe to Jerusalem. And he probably helped Paul carry that and do that. We know that he was in Jerusalem when Paul got arrested the first time. Now this sounds like Acts, doesn't it? We're getting our history and all these things just tie together and these names are important. Uh, If you go to Acts 21... 29. Uh, Paul goes to the temple and guess who he has with him? He has a Gentile with him. He's going to the temple. He's not going to bring him into the Holy of Holies, of course. Nobody goes in there but the priest. But he brings him in there 
and it says, pick it up, verse 28, crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks, Gentiles, into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Guess who one of those guys was that brought up to the temple? But he didn't do anything illegal at all. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, the Gentile, the Greek, in the city with them. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple proper. There's only so far that the Gentiles... There's the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as you Gentile can go. And that's Paul. That's all he did. You know, but they'd seen him with him, so they just assumed that he went right on, took him right on in their way. He desecrates the temple. You know, that was one of the things that they were holding against him. They were trying to arrest him for that, and that didn't even happen. But Trophimus is one of those guys that accompanied Paul there and did that. Well, he played a key role there, didn't he? Um, anyway, uh, go back to our Second Timothy. Hey, we've done more than ten minutes, haven't we? You kind of afraid that we might get cheated? <laughs> Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. It's just a little tidbit that what? Oh, he's sick. Well, sometimes we have to mention, hey, such and such is sick. You know, pray for him. Pray that they'd be well. You know, pray that God would intervene and they would, uh, it'd be uh, made made well. Come in, the Lord, there and you know, heal. But uh, I think Paul would have liked to have healed him there, and maybe he even prayed for that. And God doesn't always give the answer that we like. You know, if we could keep from every little sickness, every little bit of arthritis, and everything, you know, and God gives us a lot of things that can, and foods, and you know, different kinds of uh, things that help us that we need. But we we still battle with the consequences of sin and how often through the book of Acts and uh, through different uh, even epistles but especially in Acts we see God doing miracles through these apostles now here's Paul and he says I left him at Miletus he was sick he couldn't travel anymore that's pretty bad it's worse than hay fever <laughs> it's really bad he had to leave him there and I'm sure that Trophimus, no matter what, would have done everything that he could, but he couldn't go any further. And it shows us that God doesn't always heal, and that was where Paul was present. You'd think, well, if anybody was there, you know, we know some of the things that Paul did. You look at the book of Acts and some of the things that he raised a young dead man. If you remember, Trophimus actually was present there at that time whenever there was a young man sitting in the windowsill late at night. He fell asleep and from so many stories up and landed on the ground and he was dead. Paul was the one preaching. It's his fault. He feels bad. He goes down there and boom, you know, he comes out, out of the dead. Now, you know, Paul was present there. You know that story we could turn there. The guy's name was Eutychus. And that's exactly what God can do. I mean, He can do that. But Trophimus was there. He was, he was present at that late night service in Troas. At Troas, remember, He was sent to... Okay. The apostle miraculously restored the life to Eutychus. And it wasn't because Paul's teaching 
was getting boring. <laughs> it was a long day and a long night. It worked all day and there was, Paul was going to be leaving and he preached and preached and he gave them their money's worth. <laughs> but do you see how that works? It didn't always happen. Timothy had to drink a little wine uh, for his stomach. He had problems. If Paul could have healed him, he would have. But he, he didn't. So we can't say that everybody is is bound to be healed. And if you just believe that you can be healed, you will. It, it doesn't scripturally. We don't see that here. And if God could keep us from death, He would. But I'm glad He doesn't. We we do age. We do get older, and we do have aches and pains and more battles than we ever did before. And uh, I, I liked it last week as we were getting ready for communion, and as this side over here got up. They have arthritis and all other things that people can battle. And one, two, then a third one. The third one happened to be <laughs> Frida. She started laughing because it was just kind of hard to get up out of the chair at first and get walking right. She kind of smiled and, and, and uh, laughed a little bit. I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> I wasn't laughing at. I was laughing with. Because... I'm there too. <laughs> Not as bad, but could be. Fellowship of the saints. It's a great thing to help help be encouraged on, isn't it? We grow old together. That's why I say we need young people because we are growing older. We're not going to be here forever. And I do not want Grace Community Church to die. This has been a blessing and I do not want to see all of us get old and then that's it. Where Grace Community Church go out of Jeff City? It is important. Every one of us is very important. Well, uh, part two. We're in verse 21 now. Uh, make every effort to come before winter. Timothy, I'm writing to you. Oh, by the way, do whatever it takes to get here. And he's already told him in this chapter, when you come, bring the cloak. When you, when you come, <laughs> bring the cloak which I left at Troas, Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. And here he says, make every effort. Make sure you come before winter. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, but listen, I need that coat. Come before winter. I need the books. I really need to be... And if it's going to be so dark during the wintertime, it's going to be hard to read. Make sure you... He's in a stinking, smelly, rotten hole in the ground in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Everybody knows how bad it is. Demas is gone. Crescens is gone. Titus is gone. Tychicus is gone. They had been there. Priscilla and Aquila and Onesiphorus' family, Erastimus, Erastus, Trophimus, they're all somewhere else. These are very dear people. Only Luke is with him. So he says in verse 21, Make every effort to come before winter. I'm really dependent on you. This is the pathos. This is the melancholy. I want you to be here, Timothy. You know, Timothy is so dear to him. If you wait beyond October, it's going to be too late. It's too dangerous to travel. Please come soon. Like when? Now. He knew the day of his departure was at hand. If Timothy delayed, they'd never see each other face to face on this side. That's what he says. That well, that's Timothy. We've already mentioned Timothy many times. That's what this whole letter has been about. Then he mentions some new friends. I think this is really good. He's in Rome. He's met some people that are part of the church. 
Nobody knows about these guys much. Eubulus greets you. Also Pudens and Linus and Claudia. Oh, brethren! <laughs> Gives us a few names here. And he's closing with this last group we know not much about, but they're faithful new friends in Christ. Isn't it great to meet new friends as you go along in Christ? It's just like uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And he's moving down the road. And then he loses his best friend, brother in Christ, and he meets a new person to travel with him. Do you, you remember the story, Pilgrim's Progress? And so he has some other friends here at the end. Roman Christians, part of the church in Rome. Claudia is a feminine name. A lady is mentioned here. All the brethren. He sends greetings from these believers in Rome. They're probably saying, hey, t- tell Timothy, the guy you've told us so much, tell him that we say hi to. You know, you know um, maybe they weren't scattered in the persecution. I don't know, but they're new friends. And so... You can ask, well, where were they in this trial that he had in court when he needed people to be there and there was no one there to stand up for him? I don't know. I really don't. But let's say if they weren't willing to step forward and take up his cause, he forgave them. He mentions them right here. Doesn't say anything about them. You know, oh, they all blew it too. You know, look at them. You know, they they could have stood up for me. And no, he didn't say that. He had some new friends. He wanted Timothy to hear about these friends. I think this is grace, if that be the case. But we don't even know if they had bowed out on him. Maybe they didn't even know him at that time. Uh, Maybe they just met him. I don't know. But uh, Irenaeus, early church father, mentions Linus. Do you see the name Linus? Okay. Uh, Linus was the first bishop of Rome after Paul and, and Peter died. And we're not saying Pope, but we're saying Bishop or Pastor there, head of the church there. Um, Eusebius is a historian, a secular historian. There's another secular historian by the name of Tacitus, Roman historian. And he mentions a Roman noble named Pudens. There in Rome, remember? And he married, get this, a British princess named Claudia. Don't want to force the text. That could be very well. If these are the same people, then we have a link to British Christianity. Because it did wind up there in England, didn't it? And of course, our Reformed history is amazing. Most of the Puritans. Those Puritans came out of England. Some of them came over here and we had American Puritans. One of them being Jonathan Edwards. The last of Puritans. So a tie with there. Uh, and so you have British and, and they brought their roots over here to America. And our roots started with that. And we did. We were founded upon Christian principles. Our constitution was based upon Scripture. These people were that. So don't forget that. Our, our rich history, our rich heritage that we have. What a legacy was left. And so we, we owe a lot to Great Britain who sent many of those theologians either here or they wrote and they impacted all of us. Those Puritan writings are incredible. Now, that's the network. All of chapter chapter four, starting 
well, uh, basically starting at verse 9, you have a, a network of people, all kinds of people there, new friends, old friends, faithful people, unfaithful people, you know, Demas and Alexander, right? Some others, friends, enemies, enemies of the church. It's all part of life. So in a sense, he sets this whole team down in front of Timothy, mentions so many of them. This is the state. This is where they're at. Some have left. Some departed. Some are here. Some are there. They're part of the team. You're going to take over. They're going to be the team you're going to direct. There are probably as many as 100 that Paul ministered with and they ministered for him and such. Faithful. He met many members of the body of Christ. They were great encouragement to him. They were so faithful in being co-workers. There were disappointments. Different people that had bailed out. No matter the circumstance, they all fall under the providence of God. As we look at the fellowship of the saints here, it ties back in with our point one of how God's providence just was interwoven in there. Francis Havergal, which we just sang a hymn earlier, said this, Every joy or trial falleth from above. Every joy or trial comes from above. God uses that. And even worse things in our life, we can look back and say, well, how was that any good? That wasn't any good at all. Well, it wasn't in a sense, and it's sinful, and it's not that we desire to be in that way, but isn't it amazing what God does with that? Psalm 121. Oh my, what a psalm. You want to get encouraged? Let's look at Psalm 121 just for a moment. And here I thought I was going to be done by now. Psalm 121. You want to be encouraged? Look at this. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. He doesn't sleep, does He? Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's the God of no sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Believe it. Now, you like that? He is watching us every little moment. And He has already predetermined what we're going to do. But yet, it's our responsibility. And we work inside of that. And yeah, He gives us choices to make within that. You know, what job I'm going to have. You know, and what, who I'm going to be married to. You know, it's still God's plan, but yet we somehow use our own mind and our own wisdom and seek His wisdom for those things. And if we didn't seek our wisdom that wisdom for how we got married and how things came about and what job we're working at, even if we didn't, he's still in on that. And I don't understand it. We make our choices, but God is the one who has the absolute free will. 
Don't understand. My mind cannot fathom that. The providence of God, when you look back at it and you look at that tremendous tapestry that will be finished, and you'll go, so that's what He was doing. That's beautiful. Only God could do that. Now, is that amazing? Yeah. Sure is. Paul was not a loner. We know that God watches us, but you know what? At the same time, my help comes from the Lord, but He uses people and their prayers, their fellowship, their concern, their encouragement. He uses the people that are right before us who we can see, who we can hear, who we can touch. And He uses them to help us get on in this life. Point is, Paul is not a loner. He never could have done it by himself. He is committed to the cause of Christ with many others and they labored together. Now that's how it works, isn't it? That's what he's done in this body. and He takes a body of committed believers. They uphold one another in the great cause of our Savior. And when you think about uh, the many people that he dealt with, you think of Timothy. He, you know, they're all partners. Timothy is like a junior partner in this corporation. Ha! Huh? Much better than a corporation. The saints encourage one another. They sustain each other as God works through us. And we have weaknesses. There are things that we say and some things that we do and it can baffle people. What in the world are they thinking? You know, We say some of the stupidest things sometimes. We do some of the stupidest things. We're just not thinking. And you know what? We forgive each other. We forgive those kind of things. There's character sketches here. You know, as we look in Second Timothy in this brief section, and no one part can have victory over all the others, and not even Paul. If we are thinking about isolationism, say no to that isolationism. That's not where you want to go. Sometimes you say, I don't need people, and I'm tired of dealing with people. I just want to be over here, and that's it. And people do that. And I'll tell you what, it's miserable. You ever done it just for a couple of days or so, a couple of weeks? Try it. You'll find out how important the body of Christ is. Somebody misses a week just for the fact that they, they were either sick or they were out of town. When they come back, I don't know how many people come up and say something either in prayer time or come up to the individual and say, man, it is so good to be back here <laughs> with the church. I missed that one week and I couldn't wait to the next time we came together. Have you guys ever been there? You've been with that? That's how God's building works. We should be saying yes to involvement, warmth, affection. That's worked out in relationships. God meant it to be that. We learn to forgive that way. He's a God of forgiveness. Naturally, we don't have forgiveness. But He's a God of forgiveness. We have to learn. We live in a broken world. We live in brokenness. But yet there's a restoration. There's a restoring. But we need all to be restored. Sin is forgiven in the church, isn't it? It's to be forgiven. Each one of us are vitally important to everyone around us. And you know what? It all is done by grace. The gracious parting, verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. 
grace be with you. Paul ends with a blessing. Not a cursing. He could have felt like cursing. He's in the worst situation that he could possibly be. Beaten and bruised. Damp, cold. Prison. Humanly. You probably think, why did this have to happen to me? There are others out there that not like where I'm at. Look where God has put me and I'm dying in this prison. No. Paul has no grudges. He has no bitterness. And so what we say is if there's some kind of bitterness that you're hanging on to, if there's something that's holding you, you need to get rid of it and get rid of it right now. Don't carry it on any further. It's a burden. And it's sin. And so if we have not forgiveness for somebody and we have a bitterness, get rid of it. It doesn't do you any good. Because we can look at this man right here and he is full of grace. He says to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. Now that's singular and he's speaking to Timothy there. Of course, it's all for all of us, but it's kind of a a play with words here because then he'll go to the plural in the next sentence. The Lord be with your spirit. The Lord be with you. Psalm 121, we read that earlier. I said, hey, get a load of this Psalm 121, remember? Um, Paul's final written words are what? Grace be with you. John Stott says that grace is the word in which all Paul's theology is distilled. All of his theology is distilled. It's grace. Everything that he believed, everything that he did was focused on grace. He ends his letters with grace to you. He starts his letters with grace to you. We are in Grace Community Church. That word is not by accident. Grace. We're saved that way. We live that way. We live by grace. Grace be with you. Amen. The curtain fell. Nothing more to say. End of his ministry had arrived. And then he says, Grace be with you. And that's plural. This means that Paul expected us to read Timothy's mail. We're getting in on Timothy's mail that had been sent to him. God's grace is for you. By the way, He saved you by His grace. He keeps you saved by grace. We walk daily by His grace. Everything that we do is by His grace. Because salvation is all of grace and everything that we do. And it's by His grace for His glory. Let that be a theme in your life. By His grace. He doesn't. But I live it out by His grace and it's all for His glory. And that's the way that, that Paul lived. That was his life. He returned the glory to Christ in Verse 18, it says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He says, It's the Lord. He will do it. And He'll bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And there's the end of the letter. But P.S. Aren't you glad we have that P.S. now as we looked at that? What a blessing. 
John Stott said it would be difficult to find a better summary than these two sentences of the Apostle's life and ambition. First, he received grace from Christ, and then he returned the glory to Christ, as we look at verse 18 and then we look at verse 22. From Him grace, to Him glory, as Stott says. Saved by grace, we're shaped by grace. And it's all for His glory. Matthew Henry says this. I thought this was rather fitting. If grace be with us to convert and change us, to convert, change us, to save us, to make us holy, to keep us humble, and enable us to persevere to the end, glory will crown us hereafter. You like that? Well, let's read in Psalm 84, verse 11 and 12. Go back to the psalm. I want you to be encouraged this morning as well as every morning. So think of this. For the Yahweh God is a sun and shield. Yahweh gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold. He doesn't withhold anything from us. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Yahweh of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. Like that? You trust in the Lord? You're blessed. You're blessed indeed. Paul died June 19th, 68 A.D., very same month, a guy by the name of Nero, who was the emperor, went to the same place that Judas went to as he committed suicide. Paul went to Christ to a place where joy is unspeakable. Paul might have faced Nero in his imprisonment in the court, don't know. Crown of life was his. I'm going to tell you, Paul left that dungeon forever. He had gone to a place of execution and there was the axe that was awaiting him to separate his head from his body. And whenever he marched to the place of execution, he had kind words probably for the executioner with grace. He bowed his head to the block, closed his eyes, and open them again to look straight into the face of Jesus Christ. Since we all face the inevitability of death, it's crucial that we share the same commitment that Paul did to the living Lord Jesus Christ. If He has saved you by His grace, and He keeps us by His grace, and we minister in His grace and serve Him, then death will usher you into His glorious presence where you will glorify Him throughout all eternity.